Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. I am excited to be welcoming Phil Graves to the podcast. Phil's career journey is exciting and inspiring as he got his start in the financial consulting industry, but soon realized he wanted to dedicate his time and energy working in a field with a greater impact. Phil is currently the CEO at Wild Idea Buffalo, a company whose mission is to regenerate the prairie grasslands while improving our environment and food supply by bringing back the buffalo. Before taking the reins at Wild Idea Buffalo, Phil served as the Chief Sustainability Officer at Bass Pro Shops, as well as serving as the Vice President of Corporate Development at Patagonia, where he launched and oversaw Tin Shed Ventures, a $79 million investment fund. In this episode, we discuss the current food systems, including the benefits of buffalo meat and what we can do to be more sustainable, as well as the role policy plays in creating a clean future. This is a must-listen episode for those interested in the intersection of climate, apparel, and food production. As a bonus, I want to thank Wild Idea Buffalo for giving For Your Listening Pleasure listeners 15% off. All you have to do is enter the code FYLP15 for 15% off your first purchase. A link to the Wild Idea Buffalo website can be found in this episode's show notes. Enjoy. Phil, thank you so much for coming on the For Your Listening Pleasure podcast. Would you mind just giving us a brief intro? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mallory. Hey, everybody. Phil Graves. I am CEO of Wild Idea Buffalo Company, a 100% grass-fed, grass-finished, and field-harvested meat purveyor. Prior to Wild Idea, served as Chief Sustainability Officer at Bass Pro Cabela's, had seven years as Vice President of Corporate Development at Patagonia, known for their apparel and regenerative organic food business called Patagonia Provisions. And prior to that, spent 10 years in corporate finance consulting with Deloitte and PwC. Proud Texas Aggie, studied accounting and finance while at uh, Texas A&M. And I'm married, and my wife and I have three daughters. Uh, Lily is 13, Ruby is 11, and Shiloh, our youngest, turns nine next week. You grew up in Texas, and you grew up hunting and fishing. Was sustainability something that you learned at a young age while doing those activities? It was, but we didn't call it sustainability. So I, uh, in my early days, was in scouts and ultimately uh, achieved the rank of Eagle Scout. And one of the things that was hammered home to me in scouting was leave a place better than you found it. Whether you're hiking or out on the water, you name it. You, if you see trash, pick it up. You try and uh, improve a place. And worst case, you, you leave no trace. So for me, um, that is a key part of how I operate. Just thinking about the work that I do, who I am as a person, is this something that ultimately will leave the world a better place? I think scouting played a big part in that for me. And then also, uh, with memories, hunting and fishing with my, my family and, and friends, uh, the same idea. If you don't take good care of a place, you won't be able to uh, enjoy it in the future. And for me, just thinking about sustainability and conservation and how those are key parts of of my career and and who I am as a person. Uh, I think had I not had those opportunities at a young age to enjoy the great outdoors, 
to love the great outdoors, have a passion that's cultivated over time, and then ultimately preserve and, and protect it, then I, I wouldn't be in the job that I am today. So incredibly grateful for family and friends that invested their time with me in the great outdoors that, um, that fostered that, that passion for protecting wild places. And I'm equally passionate now about creating opportunities for the next generation of hunters and anglers and regenerative organic farmers and ranchers that, that may be that, uh, that next crop of kids that can uh, ultimately help save the home planet. So what I admire so much about your journey is that you went to school and then you went into consulting and finance and did the grind as many of us do. So we graduate from college, have to start earning a living, but at some point you decide to remove yourself because whether you had a different calling or you wanted to really kind of feel more fulfilled, what was that calling that made you take a step back when you were doing consulting and realize you wanted to shift gears? Absolutely. So you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it was a grind. In many ways, it was rewarding because you grow quickly when you're in a fast-paced professional environment. And, and I certainly appreciate the 10 years that I spent working in the corporate finance and consulting world. And in many ways, had I, had I not had the skills that I cultivated there, I, I wouldn't be able to have done the, the types of things that I did at, at Patagonia and, and now at Wild Idea Buffalo Company. Um, you know, thinking through the the points in time, I, I don't know if I had a, an aha moment, but there were a few uh, notable milestones along the way. One example, uh, and I won't use specifics, but there was a client of mine when I worked at Deloitte that was culpable for a very large environmental disaster. And we stepped in, we helped them navigate the situation, you know, look at how they can um, how they can recoup some of the lost financial uh, damages they were responsible for from other companies. But ultimately, it's not something that I felt really good about sitting around the dinner table with my, at the time, two daughters, now I have three, uh, and just sharing the type of work that dad, dad did. And for me, that was that was an, an important realization of okay, the work that I do is important for bringing home a paycheck, putting food on the table, saving for college, all those things you do as a quote unquote responsible adult. Um, but I also saw at that moment in time um, the lack of a, a mission or purpose or the the values behind what I do um, for so many hours of the day. And was fortunate at um, a Deloitte in the Bay Area practice, works with some impactful clients. Uh, SunPower was a client of ours when I was there, who's helping to bring in the new energy economy with solar uh, systems. And certainly had some moments that I'm very proud of during the 10 years and my consulting days. But that, uh, for me, that moment in time of, of you know, helping a, a client navigate an environmental disaster that they were ultimately responsible for and get as much money from other parties as possible. That was the, um, the moment when I thought, okay, are, are there alternative paths for me? Can I use my finance investing and, and general business background in a way that can ultimately move the meter for environmental and social good? And that was the, um, the mindset that I took into the transition and ultimately found an open door at Patagonia. So I think 
many listeners, including myself, when we think of Patagonia, they stand for giving back that the products they sell, you can always bring back and they will fix it. It's all about sustainability. And they come up with such unique ways to make sure that the garment uh, life cycle continues on even after wear, because that's the best thing for the environment, given that in the garment business dyes, cotton, water, it's just so um, taxing on our environment. But prior to that, uh, as I was preparing for this conversation, I did not know much about the Tin Shed Ventures. Can you talk about how that came to be? Because I believe your former uh, boss, who was the former CEO of Patagonia Rose, did a lot of the heavy lifting to convince Patagonia that this is how they should look at VC in a different way. That's spot on. I'm, I'm still grateful for what Rose to one, give me a shot at partnering with her to build 10 Shed Ventures into what it is today. And two, as you said, to do the heavy lifting of convincing the Schwinnard family owners, I should say former owners of Patagonia. Now Earth is the sole shareholder, thanks to the, the news from last month. Um, but essentially, you know, Rose, Rose convinced Yvonne and, and his wife Melinda that there's an alternative path. They had been personally um, able to witness many friends and family members that were burned by venture capitalists, even those that were quote unquote, uh, venture, uh, and mission focused at the same time. And I, I think the term Melinda uses is I don't, I don't know that we should be vulture capitalists. I don't think that's a good fit for us, but Rose to her credit, um, she has a finance background like I do and recognizes that Finance is an important way to transform um, communities. It's a powerful way to transform um, the the path that future generations can take. And there's an alternative way to do it. And so we uh, essentially tore up the venture capital playbook when we built Ten Shed Ventures. We didn't do anything in a conventional way. We looked at environmental returns and social returns and prioritized those just as highly as the financial returns, looked at more than 3,000 companies that had um, a funding model that they were looking uh, for additional capital and to support. And ultimately, we built, uh, when I was there, about a baker's dozen of, of portfolio companies, 13, that were fighting hard to change the industries that they were a part of. And things like renewable energy, regenerative organic agriculture, uh, waste diversion, water savings, and uh, through one of those ten shed investments, and, and while I did Buffalo Company, that's where I was first exposed to the power of buffalo as a keystone species, and the environmental regeneration that they can have is mind blowing. And so, again, delighted that through the ten shed ventures relationship, through the work that Rose did, and, and working in partnership with Yvonne and Melinda that we can fund companies like Wild Idea that are providing alternative paths to, to food production, energy production, and, and basically thinking of more environmentally and socially responsible ways of doing things. And they can still scale uh, as a business, much like Patagonia has done. So I believe when the fund started, you guys had about 20 million. And when you exited the company, it was at 79 million. So that's a big difference. And I feel like when people hear about being more environmentally conscious or uh, renewable energy or sustainable resources, people always go, oh, that's going to take 
so much money, there's not going to be a return. But that I think the fund and showing that change in almost what, six, seven years shows that. Why do you think that there is such a disconnect between doing well financially and also doing good for the environment with corporate companies? It, it takes a lot of work. Um, ESG is is becoming a household name, environmental, social, and governance. You see it in the front page of the Wall Street Journal often. For those but I, listeners who don't know, can you just explanation of ESG? Yeah, hap- happy to. So I think ultimately it goes down to being a quote unquote good corporate citizen. Um, in recent years, it's become more and more of a focus for investors uh, you have the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, which is a, a governing body that ultimately is synthesizing all of the different impact metrics or KPIs that touch environmental, social, and governance. And it's becoming a decision-making criteria. Walmart's announced some ambitious goals about protecting land, protecting water, it was in a, a conversation recently with some executives at Fortune 500 companies, and they essentially told me that five, 10 years ago, they were judged on growth and profit period. Maybe they do some window dressing and put out a nice uh, impact brochure at the end of the year. But now the ESG or environmental social governance metrics that and goals that they have uh, have teeth and they impact their bonus. And I think that that shows how far we've come in the last decade. And um, for me, it is uh, incredibly rewarding too. When I think about where I choose to work, the people that are recruits and, and bring onto the team, uh, we want people that care about the mission and people that recognize that uh, you can grow a business while doing things responsibly. Um, no business is perfect. Patagonia is not perfect. Wild Idea is not perfect either. But we we really focus at both companies on continuous improvement. Where are we making good ground? Where do we have a ways to go? Let's be transparent about some challenges that we're facing in the supply chain. And Mallory, to, to circle back on your question at Ten Shed, um, we did look at at more than three thousand companies there. And while I was there, and I believe it still holds true to this day, every company that we invested in is still operating. Uh, that's a hundred percent survival rate. Incredibly rare, especially with early stage companies. And it shows a, a couple things. One, just the ability to be part of the Patagonia ecosystem where you've, you've seen some pitfalls, you, you're able to sniff out greenwashing pretty quickly and find the entrepreneurs that earnestly care about what they're doing. And I think where we had a, a nice blend of the ESG side and the, just the traditional finance side is we had folks on our team that understood what it takes to scale a business and, and have profitability at the end of the day. You can have the best mission in corporate America, but ultimately, if you never make a profit, that's not financially sustainable. So you have to have both. Uh, and that's that's why it was hard to say no many times, you know, close to 3,000 times. Uh, we had to play the role of heartbreaker. Um, but we also are really proud of putting in the work, closely examining supply chains, and then having some startups that are scaling. Boreo is a great example of a company that we funded making products from end-of-life fishing nets. They now make the iconic uh, Patagonia down sweater jacket out of the recycled nylon fishing net material. Uh, Wild Idea Buffalo is another company that's on its way to scaling. We're in natural grocers and some other um, other large uh, chains that we're, we're about to break into as well. 
And it, it shows that maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, these businesses would be very small, very niche, hard to scale, but that's not the environment that we're in today. There's no doubt in my mind that conservation and sustainability are so important, especially when you're looking at the climate crisis that we're going through. And why do you think that conservation and sustainability divides us so much? Why is it that it's still such a debated topic when we need to start to put these actions in place to make sure that we are able to continue living on this planet. Animals like keystone species are still able to grow and thrive. Why is it such a dividing topic, do you think? I don't have a good answer for why we are where we are today with the environment being so polarizing, but I can tell you with absolute assurance that we have to solve that problem. Uh, the environment should not be a political issue. We all care about clean air, pure water, abundant fish and wildlife, and healthy habitats to support those animals. Whether you're a hunter, a fisherman, or a bird watcher, we all need to have wild places to recreate with our kids and decompress. Um, these are things that shouldn't be affiliated with any political party. They should be universal truths that are things that we all fight for. It is an absolute shame that in our country, green has become so political. I think that in the very near term, we'll see politicians, regardless of where they've historically been on a party line, uh, that are champions of the environment. You're, you're seeing it with some, some, some words that are not quite as, uh, as political. You know, people like to talk about nature and conservation. doesn't matter if you're in a red state, a blue state, or a purple state. And nobody wants to have rampant pollution in their backyard or really anywhere on earth. And I think when we, we see more visibility into what environmental atrocities are happening, you know, for example, um, with the, the ag supply chain, which is one I'm, I'm deeply steeped in right now with Wild Idea Buffalo Company, um, more and more customers are asking hard questions. And they're, they're understanding that when you're buying a, a protein that was shoved shoulder to shoulder with other animals, never saw the light of day, goes to a feedlot, has a manure lagoon that it swims in, and then ultimately is slaughtered in an inhumane way. They don't want to support companies doing that. And again, um, the environment has become a political issue. It's an absolute shame. But I think thankfully, due to um, more and more people waking up to the fact that they are seeking transparency and visibility into supply chains, into the environmental, social, and governance scores of the companies where they buy products from, uh, we are going to be on a better path soon. And we have to be. We only have 30 to 40 years of topsoil left. The climate crisis is getting very in your face. I've had many people that were on the fence about climate change that I've talked to in, in the last 12 to 18 months that say, I get it. I've seen enough. The floods are out of control. The wildfires are undeniable and we have to change our behavior. And so, um, you know, the bottom line is politicians that are going to be, you know, quote unquote, pro-business at the expense of the environment, they're going to get thrown out on their ear really, really quickly. So in 2020, I think we all experienced a deep awakening. I would say both the pandemic, what was going on socially, culturally, uh, shook us all to our core and made us really reevaluate our priorities and what was important. And you had like a similar moment where you, again, kind of 
took a step back and really examined everything. Can you talk about what that was? Because you ended up exiting Patagonia during that time. 2020 was quite a year for many people. Um, so many things happened with the pandemic, George Floyd's death. Um, I learned much during that year. I mean, beyond family back in Texas, where I hail from being, being very far away when people weren't getting on planes. Um, and one of the key learnings for me about 2020 was the, um, the, the fact that the environmental movement is really anchored in the social justice movement. It can't be uh, viewed in a silo. For, for me on my team, we um, were very fortunate to have an uncommonly talented African-American woman named Camila Journey, and to see how she grieved and processed that event, that historic event, uh, it, it shook our entire team, regardless of our cultural uh, or ethnic backgrounds. And for me, that was, that was absolutely an aha moment that if Patagonia or any company wants to save the home planet, we have to get everybody on the field and off the sidelines. We can't simply just be preaching to surfers and climbers and skiers. The outdoor industry, um, and I've been a part of it for many years, has had a, a diversity problem. And um, that's, that's, not ex that's not limited to the outdoor industry. So for me, uh, recognizing the clear link between the environmental movement, the social justice movement, um, doing everything in my power to make sure that we have a very diverse, equitable, and inclusive future for everyone. Um, I've got skin in the game with three daughters, and I want their future to be just as bright as had they been born male. And, and we have many dear friends in my family that are people of color. And I've heard blatant accounts of racism directed towards them through from Camila and other people that it really shakes you to the core and makes you take stock. And what am I going to do in the future? And for me, it wasn't sitting on the sidelines. It's, um, you know, at the time transitioning from Patagonia to Bass Pro, while unconventional, it was also for me a chance to prove the, the theory that I had that conservation should unite us. And why does it have to be limited to Patagonia and some coastal brands that are building apparel responsibly and using recycled materials and had some great ones there. Um, I believe Bass Pro is going to be pulling through the, the recycled fishing net plastic, which I spoke to a little bit ago. Uh, and then ultimately for me now landing at Wild Idea, I think again, goes back to 2020, where you just take a really hard look about where you can spend your energy, where it will make the highest difference and what's the, the best use of your time in the future. And for me, digging deep, um, regenerative organic agriculture, bring back the buffalo, doing it in a way that honors the animal and also honors the cultural and spiritual traditions of Native Americans. We've got a goal where we want half of our buffalo to come from Native American owned and operated tribal lands by 2025. And that has a tremendous impact for food security, for economic security, for people that have been you know, essentially um, you know, treated in a inhumane way for many, many years. And to be a very small part of the buffaloes come back and do it in a way where we can 
honor the animal and Native Americans is something that is truly special to me and and one that I'm incredibly proud to be a, a small part of. Earlier, you mentioned that the buffalo are a keystone species. For those listeners who maybe never took an environmental class or don't know what that term means, can you just explain that a little so it sets the stage? Absolutely. And I'll caveat my answer with I'm, I'm a finance guy. I've never had an environmental science course, but I'm fortunate to be a little bit of a sponge and I've had some really smart people that have taught me a lot on healthy soil, healthy grasslands and and the overall ecology of things, which really matters. You can't view things, whether it's a business or um, a family in, in a vacuum, we are all connected. That's one of the things that I'm very, very confident in, in my, my 40 years on, on earth. Um, so with that being said, buffalo incredibly powerful keystone species. It is difficult, if not impossible, to have healthy grasslands in North America without buffalo. Uh, Some facts to back that up. There was a three-decade study conducted by Kansas State University that showed in an apples-to-apples comparison between buffalo and beef cattle that over three decades, buffalo resulted in 86% more native plant diversity than the same adjacent lands that were grazed by cattle. Um, The reason for that is because cattle are domesticated. Cattle uh, were not designed by nature to live in North America. They're from Europe, Spain, you know, wherever, wherever they originated from. Buffalo are the indigenous ruminant here in North America. And over those thousands of years, nature's designed them to live in harmony with grasslands. There's the old symbiotic relationship that we've heard of back back in our early days in science where buffalo will lightly till the soil, they'll break it up, they'll aerate it with their hoofs, which basically function as like tiny, tiny tills. They'll move the seeds of the grasses around on their fur. And you'll see when you, when you roam the prairie at Wild Ideas Home Ranch in the Great Plains, many bird nests that have buffalo hair as part of it. So as a keystone species, they have a, a very uh, interconnected relationship with burrowing owls, black-footed ferrets, uh, lizards, snakes, every creature that calls the Great Plains homes has a better life for a life period when you bring back the buffalo. That, that's one piece. Um, other differences are um, buffalo love to roam. Cattle are lazy. They were designed to move as little as possible and be as docile as possible. So on a hot day, where do you find the cattle posted up? In the river and the lake. And guess what? That wreaks havoc on the riparian areas where um, many species are in dire um, straits right now. And the cattle are worsening it. They're defecating in the water, worsening water quality for downstream communities. Whereas buffalo, they're wild. That's We're wild idea buffalo for reason these things are not tame you can't pet them they go get a drink of water at the river and they get the heck out of there because they think a grizzly bear is going to come after them or a pack of wolves so uh completely different from cattle and a world of difference in terms of the environmental good that you see with buffalo relative to other sources of protein and how is it different now because when you were at patagonia helping the company now you're the ceo what shift have you seen in that time period from when you helped them kind of get their start to now running it sure so i'm still learning every day first and foremost the the o'brien and jones family first and generation respectively have built an incredible business and foundation 
through 25 years of, of blood, sweat and tears to get it where we are today. Um, in some ways it feels just like, you know, kind of, I hate to say this, but same old, same old, we've been building this thing brick by brick. Um, when I first met the O'Briens and was introduced with wild idea, Buffalo company in 2015, I knew that this is a company that has to scale for future generations sake. So I've been a cheerleader, an advisor, I've been in their corner, regardless of being at Bass Pro, Cabela's, Patagonia, or now officially seated as an employee at Wild Idea Buffalo Company. Um, we have an incredible foundation, but we also have a shared sense of urgency to grow this thing in a big way. Dan O'Brien, our founder, has told me that we've got to take the gloves off. We cannot just compete as a niche boutique farmer's market type thing that 99.9% of the country has not heard about. Um, that's why they brought me on. We've, we've made some good calls so far. We've made some bad calls and we're going to cut bait on some of the bad decisions and double down on the good decisions. But the bottom line is that we are on fire right now to bring back Buffalo in the right way and provide an alternative source of protein that is best in class from an animal welfare standpoint with our 100% humane field harvests. No one else is doing that scale. Um, it's best class for the environment and climate change. When you build healthy grasslands with buffalo serving as a keystone species, you have to have healthy soil to do that. And then healthy soil, healthy grasslands result in roots that go down in some cases 10 to 15 feet. Um, and that sequesters a lot of carbon. 4.5 more tons per acre per year happening on the carbon sequestration side at Wild Ideas Home Ranch relative to some neighboring ranches. That's equivalent to about 39,000 cars coming off the road every year, just to put it in layman's terms, which is remarkable. So environmentally best in class, I'd go debate um, anybody plant-based meats, turkey, chicken, you name it, about which is best for the environment. Red meat has a bad reputation, in some cases deservedly so, because of the, the feedlot model, manure lagoons, and basically the industrial chemical agriculture system that brings most, in fact, 90% plus of beef and buffalo to market. But when you do it the wild idea way, large landscape grazing, keystone species, let buffalo be buffalo, there is no better meat for the environment. And then finally, um, we've got a skillless thing for human health. We talk a lot about the environmental crisis at Wild Idea and Patagonia uh, in turn does the same, but we are also in a human health crisis with processed foods, obesity endemics, um, kids getting impacted far more than most people. And the reason for that is because they're eating junk. Um, when you look at our meat from a human health standpoint, it's leaner than all of those categories, beef, chicken, plant-based proteins that are the media darling of, of late. Um, and then we have things that have more nutritional density and we're finding more and more about this every day. When you graze over large landscapes, you eat dozens of types of native prairie grasses. It's what one of my heroes, Dr. Fred Provenza, an accomplished and distinguished professor out of Utah State University, has said many times, you are what you eat eats. So our buffalo, they graze over large landscapes. They eat dozens of types of native grasses. They can pick and choose based on what they know they need and nature telling them to eat versus an alternative model where animals are fed things they were not designed by nature to eat. 90% of beef and buffalo, underscore and buffalo, eat grains and corn at feedlots and they're fattened up 
uh, because it's economical, quote unquote, but it also puts the animal through hell. They were not designed by nature to eat those things. They were designed to eat grass. When you put a buffalo or you put a cow in a feedlot, it wreaks havoc on their bodies. One of the things that we learned early on and talking to some others in the meat industry is that liver, so a nutrient dense organ that a lot of people are flocking to right now, um, it's basically not available in feedlot animals because livers, as we know, process toxins. When you're feeding something, a meal it is not designed to eat and it doesn't exercise, its liver is working overtime, uh, triple time, and is unable to process those toxins. And the inspector, inspectors will actually condemn the livers. They're not eligible for human consumption because guess what? They're trashed. And so for all of those reasons, it's so important to have, whether it's Wild Idea or other large landscape, grass-fed, grass-finished, and field-harvested companies, uh, bring back the buffalo in the right way. I mean, just hearing all this information, it obviously I know it's better for the environment, but it also there's part of me that like my heart breaks thinking about these animals having to eat food and not be able to graze and be treated that way in such an inhumane way. And then we just, as a consumer, we have that power to spend our money differently. So I hope that this really resonates with listeners because we do as consumers have power of where we spend and how we buy our food and other companies like Wild Idea Buffalo and those who are really treating animals in a humane way, in the right way, especially in the best for the environment is where we should be spending our dollars. Where can, 100% agree. Where can listeners find Wild Idea Buffalo? One of my favorite questions. Thanks for asking. So we have a website that's www.wildideabuffalo.com where you can buy and we'll have it to your door in three days or less in most in most cases um i'm happy to kick out a special discount for your listeners mallory we'll have a code that's f y l p 15 again f y l p 15 to get 15 percent off your first order as a future Wild Idea customer. We hope many of you will check out the website and purchase. And then we also have a store locator where you can punch in your zip code. You can find any uh, grocery stores nearby or restaurants, which are serving our product. And uh, one of our biggest wholesale partners right now is Natural Grocers. We're grateful for that relationship. We've been selling through Natural Grocers for many years, and they're located across most of the country. And listeners, I'll put all of that information into this episode show notes as well as post about it so you can click on it. And also the uh, promo code will be there as well. What would you, if you could tell listeners two or three pieces of advice of how to be more sustainable or what we should be doing or be mindful of, what would you say? I'd start with food. Uh, and we've, we've plugged Wild Idea pretty hard, so I won't, I won't belabor it. But um, beyond Wild Idea, look deeply into where your food comes from. I was and still am incredibly honored to be a small part of the Regenerative Organic Certification launched with Patagonia, Dr. Bronner's, Rodale Institute, Demeter, and many, many other experts and regenerative organic farming, ranching, animal welfare, and social fairness. That certification, while relatively new, is scaling. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. Um, 
you can find rock certified products on store shelves. And if you don't ask the manager, um, if you go to the regenerative organic Alliance website, which is regenorganic.org, you can see uh, producers, whether they're farmers or ranchers that are using regenerative organic practices, which are building healthy soil, which are not using that last 30 to 40 years of topsoil we have left and, and extracting it at the expense of future generations and bringing healthy products to market. So there are some other good seals out there, uh, but one of the ones I'm most familiar with and most proud of is the regenerative organic rock certification. So look for that logo on store shelves. It's the easy button. You don't have to do too much research. If you see the rock certification, you can know that the homework's been done and it's got my seal of approval. Um, and then I'd, I'd say, you know, beyond food and we have to eat every day. That's why I started with food. Everybody each day, unless you're fasting, makes a decision that can make the world a better place and regenerate land or can degrade land and jeopardize future generations. So think long and hard about food. Um, clothing will hit the essentials too. Again, Patagonia is not perfect, but they're certainly doing what they can to bring environmentally and socially responsible apparel products to market. And again, delighted that earth is their only shareholder. Now all future profits that result from selling Patagonia products will flow into the Holdfast collective, which will in turn dole out grants and investments into, um, opportunities, which can, you know, work in harmony with nature. So that, that's a great place to start on the clothing side. Um, and then, you know, as you said a little bit earlier, um, buy less. So one of the things that I've seen, I've witnessed firsthand in, in, in my 40 years is the increase in consumption to unsustainable levels. There's rock solid science that shows that we're currently using 3x, 5x, 10x the resources that this planet has. It's just simple math. These are not infinite resources, whether it's oil and gas or um, other commodities. We have to slow our role in how we consume. Um, buying used is a great option. Um, Patagonia has a program called Warnware. I was I was uh, thrilled to help stand that up, where you can buy a used Patagonia product at Warnware.com. Other companies have followed suit. I think one of our, our launch partners there has has a couple dozen brands that, that can buy used. So if you haven't thought about buying used before, please do. It has a much lighter toll on the planet. And then buy less. Only buy what you need. Um, sleep on it. If you're going to make an impulse buy, give it a good night's sleep. And then the next day, think through, is this something I really need? Or can this be something that can be um, put deferred or just eliminated on the purchase side. So if you, if you follow those simple rules about buying less buy regenerative organic, whether it's certified or not, uh, those are, those are things that are incredibly important and just be, be a thoughtful person when you pull out your wallet and, or purse and make a purchase decision. Yeah. And I would also add, like, think about where you're purchasing as well. Look to see those brands. Are you supporting? Do they align with your values? What's their environmental stance or how are they giving back or how, where's the product coming from as well? Um, obviously fast fashion is the worst thing for the environment. So be mindful. And, you know, if it's a little bit extra financially, but it's going to last longer, you're going to be able to use it more. It's worth the extra dollars up front to have it be um, an item that can sustain itself for a lot longer. That's right. hundred percent agree. 
Thank you so much for this conversation. I love what you guys are doing. I'm so excited to watch the brand grow and just everything you've done is so impressive. Um, I end every episode with the same three questions. And the first question is, if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would it be? Ooh, so I'll also divulge my favorite movie in giving this quote. That's The Dark Knight, where he drew his joker. And there's a line in there that reminds me of modern times, and that's, the night is darkest before the dawn. And things look really bleak right now with the climate crisis, with unending wars, with addiction to smartphones and, and, um, and fast fashion, all these things that, we, that we've touched on. Uh, but I also see many reasons to have optimism and hope. Uh, I think the next generation gets that we need to change our behavior. They are taking action. And I'm, I'm hopeful that when we have a mainstream shift to regenerative organic agriculture, which is happening as, as we speak today, um, when people slowing down the pace of consumption, and uh, essentially just investing in each other and relationships that it is dark right now, but I think the dawn is coming. And if you haven't seen The Dark Knight, watch it because I love it. <laughs> no, I think that quote definitely for some reasons exactly what I need to hear today. So thank you for sharing that. I'm sure a lot of other listeners, given where we're at currently, definitely will need to hear that as well. But the second question is, if you could relive any one day, which day would you choose? So I thought long and hard about this one, about giving a really good nature-based answer, because I feel like that's what I have to do. Uh, the problem is I have, I have too many great memories of hunting and fishing and backpacking with my daughters in the Sierras, and it was too hard to pick one day. But what I, I will offer up as my answer, while not directly tied to nature, it really ties into the human element. And that's right before the world shut down, my family and I got to go to Europe for the first time. My oldest daughter is an incredible soccer player. She'll hate me saying that and bragging on her, but we got to go see the Women's World Cup with many friends of ours who just happened to be able to make it work. Uh, we got to, to be in Paris, eat great food, explore many beautiful natural places in Switzerland. And, and the day I'd choose is, is probably the day when we got to see the US Women's National Team in Paris as an entire family, surrounded by friends. Um, it was uh, a day I will not soon forget. That's a beautiful memory, for sure. The final question is, if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you choose? This is uh, a hard, another hard one because I have a lot of, I'm a, I'm a music buff. I love, I love all different styles of music. My wife, Alicia, turned me on to an artist named NF. He is a rapper. And I like a lot of his uh, messages. And the, the song that stands out particularly is No Excuses. So No Excuses by NF. It is motivating. It gets you fired up. And again, we've got a lot of work to do to right the ship on the climate crisis and you know, essentially leave this world a better place, tying it back to the beginning of our conversation. And No Excuses. Don't sit on the sidelines. Be a part of the change that you want to see and give that NF song a listen. I, I think you'll like it. So I'm going to add that song to the For Your Listening Pleasure theme song playlist on Spotify so listeners can hear yours and every other guest theme song. Um, Phil, again, thank you so much for this conversation. 
And I just appreciate your time and your honesty and everything you're doing to make this planet a little bit better for us. It, it takes the village. Delighted to spend some time with you today. Thanks for your uh, your story as well, and excited to uh, to see the change happen on the horizon. We're right there.